team, the mind's ear, and you are smelling the noise. Hey, what the hell? I can't get in the door. Hey, you get, what's going on in there? What? I, I can't. Let me get this. Ow, there. What are you? Oh, what are you guys doing? Hey, stop it. No. Oh, crying out loud. Stop. Oh, no. Leave those. Oh, man. Hey, you, you guys, I got it. Oh, man. Hold on. Hold on, Milk. Uh, you, you guys, no peanut butter for a month. Oh, man. Hang on. Just a second. Oh, jeez. Let me get this situated here. Oh, jeez. Oh, <laughs> you okay, man? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but look. Look at this. Look at this thing. How am I going to get that back in there? Oh, boy. I tell you. Uh, you know, they've just been, they've been getting a little uh, presumptuous lately. You know, I mean, I've had two or three incidents now where they're just, they're kind of out of control. Yeah, so how's that exotic animal thing working for you, huh? <laughs> <laughs> hey, 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 by the way, you didn't see them earlier before they, they got in the booth here? Hey, buddy, I stay as far away from those damn things as I can get. Don't be hanging the blame on me for those insaniacs. Well, yeah, all right, but look, you know, I I indeed, indeed. They're in need of a little enhanced supervision. I think we can we can arrive at that point. Look at this place. Crying out loud. Now the fire marshal ain't gonna be happy, I'm gonna tell you that right now. How about sitting their furry butts in a slingshot aimed for Jupiter? Well well, maybe. Maybe. Or <laughs> how about a nice passive torture of sitting on a webinar? How about that? What? What are you kidding? Yeah. No, no, really. Really. This is a, a phenomenon lately, folks, not the webinar, but a technique that's being used lately, which, uh, which on the surface, at least in its earlier incarnation, was actually okay. And some folks are still doing it this way. And that is, they offer something to you for free that's useful, that you can actually do something with. And then you sit and listen to this presentation of whatever it is, which also might be useful. You know, I mean, there's no charge for this. It's in most cases, it's just, you know, you have to listen to this stuff. There's this idea now that you need to give away something in order to create a prospect for whatever the end purpose might be, whatever your business is, right? All right. But here's what's happening. The first several folks who were giving away content we're actually giving away something of use. And there, like I say, there are still a few out there who are doing that. But lately, what's happening is, is not useful. Or if they are giving you something, it's something like this. To write an effective message, be sure to use lots of language. And always be sure to use fonts. Another great and useful tip is to write brilliantly. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a bunch of tips that are either A, you know them backwards, they're so obvious that, you, that if you didn't know them, you, wouldn't, you shouldn't be in that business, or B, it's just a bunch of crap that nobody's going to do. Kind of like the timeshare ploy of years ago, which I think is still going on in some parts of the world. 
where they force you to go listen to somebody talk about something under the guise of giving you a free vacation. It never works that way. But, you know, it's just trying to hook you with some blatherment in the hope that you'll find their stuff invaluable and then buy their crap. That's basically what it comes down to. I don't know who's more delusional here, though. The misguided minions who came up with this inane ploy? Or the unfortunate souls who believe they'd actually get some value from it? And that's, you know, I've been there, you know, perhaps many of us have. But it's a weird thing. It's a very weird thing. This webinar I was on actually had a lot of great content. It was, it was actually very good. It was worth, worth the time. But it, it got me to thinking about some of the others that I have experienced over the years and have realized that, wait a minute, you know, what, what you guys are really doing is you're copying the idea, but you got nothing. You got nothing. You're not giving away anything. Yeah, it's just stuff to beware of, you know, in our time of greed and blatulence. Yeah, I think that's that's kind of where we are. Many of the first theme parks, though conceptually interesting, were doomed to failure. Welcome to Sharp Object World, where everything's sharp. So, yes, this is Fusebox, and I am your host, Mark Rose, and this is uh, episode number 14, The Mind's Ear, and uh, that actually does correlate <laughs> before all of this chaos happened. It actually does correlate to, to uh, many things that we're going to feature on this particular program, not the least of which, by the way, was the chaos that ensued at the very top. Because although you didn't see anything, you saw it all, didn't you? Of course you did. So the idea of audio theater, and that's the, the, the place that I've been living for many decades, uh, is, is gaining popularity again these days. Uh, you see more and more people producing it, uh, both live and also uh, in pre-recorded ways. And... Uh, for some reason, Portland seems to be kind of a conduit for it. I, I don't know why. Well, it's a conduit for many things, as we know. But this is funny because, like I said, back in the day when uh, I was doing a program called Dry Smoke and Whispers, we were pretty much alone, folks. I think there may have been three other people <laughs> at that period of time. Um, this is the Reagan administration I'm talking about now. Um that were doing it. Uh, Tom Lopez from ZBS Media was certainly out, out there swinging away and a couple of others, but uh, it, it was sort of lonely, got to say. And, uh, you know, let's face it, the, the, the form had been out of date for 40 years, pretty much, replaced by TV for the most part. And uh, public radio, though, still had a use for this kind of programming and um, often used OTR old-time radio as its staple, you know, like The Shadow or Inner Sanctum or shows like that. Um, but come the era of mobile media and uh, just like magic, a whole new audience for audio-related entertainment is born. And uh, this is a terrific format for that. 
because you can carry it with you <laughs> and uh, strap in the little earbud thingies and you're on your way. And I think that's great. I, I've never seen so many folks producing this kind of content than there is now. And I think that's wonderful, frankly. The more the merrier. So the focus for this show really is the mind's ear, if you will, the mind's eye, if you can, and uh, just what this audio medium can do for us because uh, we are in a very unique spot, not shackled by CGI or expensive soundtracks. Everyone is their own director, producer, cinematographer, you name it. So two such intrepid producers of aforementioned audio theater, Joe Medina and Jamie Lawson, have been at it a while now, too. And uh, in this first part of an interview we did a little while back, I uh, talked with them about how they got started on this road to riches. Do you recall how we first met? Oh, yes. Yeah. And that was like, what, 2004 or was it? It was 2005. It was. Um, okay. it, it actually, it was a very nice thing at a very rough point in our lives. We were oh. right in the middle of uh, losing our house and having to move back into an apartment and pack five cats and all that sort of thing. So it actually, that kind of cements it in my memory, <laughs> but as well... You know, it was a very bright, you know, bright part of an otherwise yeah, kind of dark time. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of a surreal week because it's like on the one hand, we kind of felt like frauds because a bank was eating our house. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and we didn't really have anything to show for beyond the fact that we had a whole mess of cats and a lot of crap to schlep across a couple of blocks. And then all of a sudden, this thing that we thought we were basically doing for ourselves we didn't know whether anybody was listening to After Hell or not. I mean, a few people had bought in like the first disc a few times or something. But beyond that, we had no idea whether, actually, we were still not sure whether we have an actual audience for <laughs> well, After that's, Hell. That's always the problem with any of this stuff, isn't it? We, yeah. We just don't know any of that. But 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 before we, we talk about that, because I, I want to elaborate a little bit on After Hell, but what provoked your interest in this arcane and some would say dead <laughs> uh, medium known as audio theater. I would say object bitterness. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's a good place to start. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a, a, a very circuitous route because Jamie and I first met by way of Doctor Who fandom. We, you know, we, we'd met through uh, a club that I think is still in existence in San Jose, California, the Legion of Rassilon. While I was offering a script for a fan film for the club to do. They made one before, but that was just basically a joke on several different levels. And the script I had written was a lot more ambitious because I was a much more ambitious writer. I actually had aspirations to actually study filmmaking for as much as I could for as long as the money would hold out or whenever somebody would actually let me use a camera. <laughs> and over the course of meeting people in the Legion of Rassilon, we there were a couple attempts to make that script into a film. And each time the whole process got bigger, more complicated and more elaborate to the point where somebody was directing it, then we shot some footage and then that footage got erased because the director wanted desperately to record The Grateful Dead on PBS. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. So uh, we had nothing to show for all of that shooting. 
um, after that. And then a couple of years later, Doctor Who went on hiatus and there was a whole question of, you know, wither fandom, what we as a club were going to do about it, if anything. And the whole question of, well, we, you know, we'd still have that uh, film script, you know, that I wrote. And then that director came back. He didn't show up a lot and just almost in a fit of peak had one big pre-production meeting set up with a couple of local journalists in San Jose, an acquaintance of Jamie's via, you know, by her day job at Intel. And we just sort of felt like these guys are here to document whatever the hell we're going to do. All right, screw this. I, I, I know how I want to make this movie. And I just, okay, let's just start the meeting whether or not somebody shows up. Screw it. <laughs> you know, and a bunch of people did show, including including the journalist in question. And I just said, okay, well, first thing we're going to do, first order of business our director isn't here. He is no longer the director. I am now the writer, director, and producer of this film. And one of the journalists said, geez, miss one meeting and you're screwed. These guys are tough. <laughs> um, and it took 10 years, maybe 12, to make one stupid little fan vid crossover movie about Doctor Who meets the prisoner. <laughs> Oh my god! All because a lot of the people who insisted, "Oh, I really want, I really want to work on this thing," who would approach me and push me into making this thing, didn't want to miss all the conventions. Well, well I know, but there's a, the, the Filkcon is on or whatever. And it's like, you know, it's like, look, we could do this all in one summer if we just cut the bullshit and mm -hmm. actually knuckle down to a production schedule for th three months. All right, where to now? Ah, into the vortex for a hasty retreat. I think I figured out how to fix this mess. Simple. Destroy the village. That's all you have to do. Stop this madness once and for all. You're quite threatless, sir, aren't you? This village of yours may have some historical significance for your planet. You can do what you like, but Dave and I have to stay out of your affairs. We don't have to worry about that. See, someone's making sense. It's all based on this TV show called The Prisoner. I take it back. What is he talking about? Here, I'll show you. It's in my videotape collection. This is not beginning to make sense. What's going on then? It's a phenomenon called alternative time. You've seen the problems I've been having with my uh, my sensors? Because they said to analyze material from my reality. And mine is different. Slightly different. Every moment in time has at least one alternative, one other choice. Uh, it's like a river moving along nice and happily. But occasionally it will branch off here and there. For example, in David's universe, my reality has become fiction. So, actions that weren't taken in one universe are played out in another. Exactly. The details are, are complex, how sometimes particles slip into singularities and such, but uh, that's it in a nutshell. One choice could make a completely new reality. This could certainly make Kierkegaard a happy man. Oh, nothing can make him happy. Believe me, I've tried. But they just decided, no, they were having too much fun being a science fiction fan to actually do something about science fiction itself, even if it was just this little goofy little project that basically had brought me and Jamie together in the first place. Which may have been the actual purpose of that all the way along. Yeah. <laughs> it's also unusual that you would start with something uh, visual as opposed to, you know, an audio thing. Uh, well, was... yeah, that was the thing. It was like, I was, it was such a frustrating process that, I mean, naturally I was doing other projects on the side and I had met with some folks, um, down in Anaheim, who were doing Doctor Who audio fiction. And I had submitted a script or two, mainly just because I'd, I'd kind of subscribed to one of many of Harlan Ellison's perspectives on, on writing, where 
If you're a writer, you should be capable of writing anything. Though I haven't really had the guts to write for porn yet. Um, <laughs> well. <laughs> the jury's still on that There's one. time. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> uh, but um, I figured this was a chance to actually get some chops writing for radio. So I submitted the script. They really liked what I was doing. We got along to some degree. And they kept asking me to submit more and more. And they either would even ask, invited me down to direct a few. And Jamie would come along. And they even roped her into reading a couple of lines. <laughs> that became a character. Then it became another character in another story. And it just sort of became almost this annual thing where every year we would go down to Anaheim to actually produce and complete a Doctor Who project. And this was audio. All audio. That's great. In fact, we were led to believe that they actually had a studio. They did not have an actual studio. I see. No, they had a single microphone on the living room floor, which was hooked up to a Radio Shack cassette tape recorder, <laughs> which I know for a fact was originally manufactured circa 1977 because my father had one then. Oh, my God. So it was, yes, you know, we do the take. We all bend over the, the microphone on the floor. The director presses record. We do the take. You know, I shouldn't necessarily say take because it was very much, this is how it goes. Second takes, <laughs> second takes were incredibly rare. Joe probably asked mm -hmm. for more of them than anybody else, but that was scared what he was doing. Um, yeah, they thought I was insane. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was like, end of the scene, hit the stop button. I'm known as the doctor. You were the one calling me. Who are you? I am Elizabeth Renata. And your life, Doctor, is now mine. You are a vampire. Rathlon's order. I must destroy you. Not this time. Curse you. Aha! I always knew that cloak would come in handy someday. Not good enough. Ah! How ironic. The blood of a Time Lord shall now give new life to the ancient enemy. No! So yeah, we were we would go down there, and I had introduced a couple of really crazy ideas to their production process, like rehearsal. <laughs> Insane, Joe. Insane. <laughs> you know that, and um, actually picking out music cues beforehand. <laughs> Instead of going through their collection of CDs and cassettes and saying, how many times can we use that Star Trek Irish jig music again for a joke? Or the Star Trek fight music, God help us. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Alexander yeah. Courage helps you and thanks you. And, uh, <laughs> Rest in peace. With yeah, you. Right. Anyway, this was not really a professional thing. It, was, it wasn't meant for broadcast. So if anybody hears some of the clips later or something, I apologize. Right. Profusely. Please don't shoot us. Um <laughs> So, yeah, you'll hear like a little Jerry Goldsmith or something or some <laughs> obscure Dudley Simpson cues from the original Doctor Who series or whatever. Nice. Um, nice. I, uh, you know, I, I even actually managed to work in some Mike Oldfield stuff oh, because it's like they were going, this is great stuff. Where'd you get this from? It's a movie called The Killing Fields. It was out a couple of years ago. <laughs> nah. Yeah. Nah. <laughs> yeah. All sorts of weird stuff. I mean, we would be down on the floor with this one little flat mic. Uh -huh. And nice. you know, are we talking like a boundary mic, one of these, or or was it an actual? Like, no, I think it was a boundary mic. It yeah. was a boundary mic. I'm pretty okay. sure. It was. Yeah, a little squarish thing on a flat on yes. a flat plate. Yeah, a PZM. Quite familiar with that. 
I'm sure you've seen scenes where people are all huddled around a conference room and they're having a, uh, you know, a conference call with some disembodied head somewhere in another big corporation. An object very much like what's sitting in the middle of their table is kind of what we're talking about here. It's very flat and it's omnidirectional, so it picks up all over, but it also picks up everything. So, you know, fleas, jumping, anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... Um, yeah, everyone had to remember their lines because, you know, they had to memorize those lines for sure. No question. Because if you flip a page, oh, uh, yeah. Mike will pick it up. Yeah, you bet. Yeah, you know, um, sometimes we would do little ambient noises for, for alien stuff by, like, dropping packets of Capri Sun on the kitchen floor, <laughs> like, just a, couple, a yard away from the mic. You know, um, so it's like all of that... And then we were surrounded by, like, a boombox, uh, a computer with, like, a little PC speaker. Right, right for, play, for playing the music and the uh, sound effects cues, respectively, because it all had happened all at, at once. at the same time. Yep. So, yeah, if you, wow. so, so, yeah, you had to hit all of those at once, and if there was one goof and the timing was off, stop, stop, rewind everything right back, start over again from the top of the scene. Yeah, we'll have some more with those fine folks subsequently. Also want to mention that links both to the Olean Productions material and uh, the program Jamie produces called It Was 20 Years Ago Today will be found in the show notes. So check them out if you would. I think you will enjoy it. Are you a college student with a massive loan debt and low GPA? Are you under a lot of stress recently? You may be suffering from exploding head syndrome, or EHS. No, no, I did. I can't sleep. I did. At what time is it? Huh? Uh-oh. So, huh? This isn't good. <laughs> Don't let this happen to you. Washington State University researchers have conducted the largest study yet of this sleep disorder and published the results in the Journal of Sleep Research. Dr. Brian Sharpless, assistant professor of psychology, describes the condition this way. Yes, it can be quite disturbing. You're going to sleep and become very relaxed. Then all of a sudden you hear an extremely loud noise or gunshots or the sound of an extremely large guitar string breaking. Some people feel like there's an explosion actually happening inside their heads. Could you be among the 18% of undergraduate college students who suffer from this mental disorder? Thankfully, there's treatment available for this disabling illness. Talk to your doctor about cannabis strain, Jack Kevorkian, for a relaxing, well-balanced effect and major couch lock. Put an end to EHS. Developed by Smirk, Scientific Mood Investigative Research Corporation, may cause internal cognitive feedback loops, inability to move due to not deciding, and insatiable cravings for anything cheesy. Do not look animals directly in the eye while using this medication. The Jack Kevorkian strain is not to be taken before operating heavy machinery or light machinery. You probably don't even want to use a vacuum. It's not advised to think about Jack Kevorkian while using this medication. Major bummer may occur. Certainly along the same lines of uh, mind's ear, 
Uh, in past shows, I've uh, featured a segment called Twisted Epiphanies, and these are uh, short spoken word pieces that run the gamut from satirical to <laughs> terrifying, maybe. And I've had some great feedback on those bits. So um, I thought I'd throw another in the mix for this particular show. And uh, I think it fits right in. I really do. This one written by Jody Lorimer. It takes us on a deliriously frenetic and surreal excursion to meet the kitchen man. I should have known I was on the edge. A couple of 60-hour work weeks can do that to you. I'd started yelling at stupid drivers, anyone who was in my way, even if they were stopping for some old guy in a wheelchair to cross. He should roll faster. There was a conspiracy of traffic everywhere I went. There was always some bozo in the market line who got the wrong thing for the coupon and the kid who brought the right thing was moving glacially. Coffee took forever to brew. Drip. 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 Falling like melted glass. My therapist went on some endless vacation to God knows where. The never-ending snow back east made sure the store up the street was out of my cigarettes. I was marooned on a shrinking island surrounded by idiots. All my weapons had melted into the sand, and I could feel their eyes on me at night. So I shouldn't have been surprised, I guess. Something was bound to leak. I expected a heart attack, a stroke, something in my body to just give up and roll over, hands in the air. I didn't expect the guy in the kitchen. I dragged myself into my kitchen from the car after another aggravating 12-hour day with an armload of instant meals from the store that still didn't have my cigarettes, flipped on the light, and started slamming things in cupboards. I was not going to miss The Walking Dead again. The cherry cupboards are new, just installed a couple years ago before my marriage disintegrated like everything else. They have halogen lights along the bottom and the top that work on a dimmer switch. But when I flipped them on, it was still sort of dark. Damn. Now I needed to get more of those teensy bulbs that are a real pain in the ass to install. If you touch them, they blow out faster from the oil on your fingers. Of course. But this was a shadow of a man projected on my ceiling. I stepped back, heart racking against my ribs, and there he was. A little man, no more than three feet tall, or long because he was lying prone along the top of the cupboards, on top of one of those lights, casting a disproportionately huge shadow. Next thing I knew I was on the street with my cell dialing 911-911-911. I was behind my neighbor's shrub, crushing his tulips, heart pounding, watching to see if he'd left. I could see the police moving all through the house, turning on lights, powerful flashlights, stabbing into closets and crawl spaces. No sign of him. No sign of a break-in. It's safe to go in now. Let us know if you have any more trouble. Where'd you see him? I lied. I couldn't say on top of my cabinets. How would he have gotten there? By this time, I was starving and really cranky. Of course there'd be some circus freak hanging out on my cabinets. Of course. Happens all the time, right? I grabbed a box of food, put it in the microwave, and stared around the room and at the place where he'd been. The paint, meadow pond green, I remembered from the can. It began to shine and swell unevenly as if filling with liquid. 
The paint faded and darkened, gathering colors from the shadows, accumulating dimension. As he emerged through the wall, the shadow grew with him, darkening the room. He'd just been waiting. His skin was what my mother used to call sallow, a sort of darker shade with a yellowish tinge, but the paint gave him a greenish hue. He had huge, damp eyes and a very wide mouth like a frog. His lank, dark hair hung in strings over a sort of unitard, but he didn't lay down in that small space with his head on his hands. His head was up. He was poised on splayed fingertips, palms raised like a pianist about to launch on Rachmaninoff. Or me. What are you? Why are you here? To say it too loudly made him seem more real. He didn't move, only blinked those enormous dark eyes slowly and wetly. Then he raised one splayed hand, stretched it slowly and replaced it, then the other. His fingertips grew wide and flat and seemed to stick to the cherry wood like small textured pads. For some reason, I thought of a trip I'd taken years ago to Australia, to a park in the middle of nowhere to see the rock art. What I'd also seen were more weird animals in one day than all my life before, as if God had run low on materials and put them together from spare parts. Gigantic and horned poisonous snakes, a pair of platypus ducks that have fur lay eggs and they're poisonous too. A just plain mean Cape buffalo with a broken horn, the ranger assured me would run me down in a heartbeat if he'd wanted to. A huge black boar running on tiptoes, ears flipping like little propellers. Crocodiles smiling with jagged fangs, lurking deadly logs on the banks of a stagnant creek. That night in the camper park, I was desperate for a shower and the safety of my rented van. Flashlights scanning the path for snakes and whatever else decided to manifest, slapping at the cloud of mosquitoes hovering over my blood-filled body. I ducked into the concrete block room, cranked on the heavenly weak stream of cool water and heard my throbbing heartbeat begin to relax. The air was sulfur yellow from the lights, it took a minute to realize the entire white ceiling moved, swarming with insects, swaying with spider webs. Each one hung with a creature the size of my hand, and it was covered with white geckos, exactly the same color as the ceiling. All you could really see was their yellowish eyes and long pink tongues flicking out feasting on the bugs that flew by. Like an Escher print, they interlocked, their splayed fingers stuck to the walls. Now and then, they'd rearrange like pieces of a weird kaleidoscope, settling again into a new white geometric pattern to continue the feast, disappearing into the wall. The microwave dinged, but it seemed to reverberate like a cathedral bell at sunset, the steam from my dinner hissed. I was staring into those huge, damp eyes, and together we blinked slowly, slowly at each other. The air was heavy, like jello. I was going to do something, something. There was a pressure on my chest. It was very long, 
and sticky and pink, a soft tongue wrapping around my heart and squeezing. Yeah, so the next time you see that thing out of the corner of your eye and you're not sure just exactly what it was, there you go. The following preview has been approved for all audiences. Rage has a new face. Twisted and misshapen, a face masking a deeper anger, a darker hate. A hate that is enormously large and massive in its colossally huge and gigantic bigness. Yes, Rage has a new face. Wait, what? That doesn't make sense. Yes, it does. No, it doesn't. A hate that is enormously large and massive in its colossally huge and gigantic bigness? What? (laughs) That's just stupid. You're stupid. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. And your hair is stupid, too. No, it's not. That, you, this whole thing, I, I'm telling Mom. I just can't stand working with amateurs. I, I don't know what the... Yes, Rage has a new face. Timo's World. Ah, yes, dear friends, it's time once again to check on the always inspiring and uplifting adventures of Timo as he tries to adjust to a world gone mad. This time, a romantically charged episode filled with tenderness and heartfelt compassion. It's Timo's World! is meeting his girlfriend at a restaurant because, well, they need to talk. Hi, welcome to Nick Darnold's. I'm Tina and I'll be your server this evening. Tonight, we have a lovely armadillo flank slow-roasted over an open sore and served with a tangy bastard sauce. Would you care for a drink and maybe an appetizer to get started? I recommend the poached kangaroo nostril or our famous deep-fried squirrel lips smothered in Satan gravy. Um, no thank you. Just the bread and water and bread is fine for now. Yeah, sure thing. Um, so thanks for meeting me here, Timo. Um... So yeah, like, um, we need to talk and stuff. So yeah, we've been together now for like six months and stuff. And so yeah, I mean, it's been really, really fun and stuff. And um, you're a really, really great guy. I really, really like that you can tear the arms off other guys and stuff like that. And how you really, really like ringing bells. But um, I just really, really think we should, you know, see other people and stuff. 
Okay, I just wanted to check back and see how you two are doing. Are you ready to order? Um, so, yeah. Um, no, we're not ready to order anything, so... Not a problem. Just let me know if I can get you anything. So, um, anyway, yeah. I really, really think we should see other people. I mean, I just really, really need my space, you know? You're a really, really great guy. Really. And there are plenty of fish in the sea. You'll meet someone really, really nice, and you'll forget all about me. Really, time heals all wounds. It's not you, it's me. sweet, sweet uh, thing? Was that your girlfriend? Did she break up with you? <laughs> oh, so, so sorry, sir. That is just terrible. You seem like a great guy. <laughs> you nice. Oh, well, thank you. That is just so sweet of you to say. I think you're nice, too. You... pretty. You know, my boyfriend has a shirt like that. that clutter and clang, we bring to a close this edition of Fusebox. I would just like to thank the multi-talented players in our head space concoction, Joe Medina and Jamie Lawson for the glimpse into Olin Productions. More to come from that interview subsequently. The vocal gesticulations of Kevin Cook Jody Lorimer, Nancy Munson, Jeff Pollard, Douglas Scott, and Tara Timothy. Thanks again to you for pushing play on this episode of Fusebox. I have been your semi-sentient host, Mark Rose. And until our next cartoon.